Thank you very much. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you very much for coming. Um, first rule of presenting is always have an outrageously over-ambitious title. Um, how, how can open data revolutionize your rail travel? The answer, the, tru the truthful answer for those who want to leave now is slowly. Um, uh, it, it will take time because for various reasons you're about to find out um, before we can actually get to the data we've got to understand something about who controls the railways, how it's structured, who pays for it. Before we can get to those questions about punctuality, fares and consider what difference open data makes. So let me first of all, and apologies if you're starting to get a compression headache at this point in time, just take you through how the rail industry works because actually a lot of open data to make the most effective use of it you've got to understand the institutions that produce the data and what their interests are and how they produce the data and under what pressures and regulation they, they exist. So this is the simplest version of the rail industry structure that I could find. So the Department of Transport um, is your is, is you know the, the Department of Government that um, controls the railways and they work together with the um, Office of Rail Regulation who regulate. And we then have the TOX and the FOX, um, the train operating companies and the freight operating companies. And we then have Network Rail. Uh, so what happens here is your tax goes in there um, and then the Department of Transport gives some money to Network Rail, actually about four or five billion pounds a year, a large number. The transport, the, the DFT also give money to the train operating companies directly to run what they call um, um, services that can't be, um, that are, are not commercial. And most of the train operating companies get some funding from the DFT to run these um, non-commercial services. And then the train operating companies then pay access charges to network rail. So in this architecture, you can see already there are far too many players, um, but what's happening here is that money is flowing um, towards network rail and towards the train operating companies. Um, so these guys actually provide your rail services and these guys provide the infrastructure. Now, if we move on beyond that to, let's see how... Let's have another look at the way the industry is structured. This is all of the entities that are involved in delivering. So if we're exploding that box marked train operating companies, we've got all of these train operating companies. And just to bring a data aspect into it, these are all of the data providers who then supply each of the train operating companies. So you can see they're color-coded by group. And you can see that, um, that different groups are being provided, um, their, their, their IT solutions are being provided by different um, third-party providers. And at the top there, you've got the Association of Train Operating Companies that act on behalf of the train operating companies. And they themselves have a service called National Rail Inquiries that provides information that many of you will be familiar with. So, how, do, how does all this um, architecture get directed? It gets directed um, through a series of short steps. Network Rail does this, operates, maintains, renews the infrastructure to deliver the outputs that the government wants to buy. And the government buys something through this thing, the high-level output spec. And every uh, four years, uh, 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 four years, eight years, uh, th there's a new one of these. This is the most recent one. 
um, creating the um, um, outputs for this thing called control period four. You have to be inducted in all this language if you're going to do anything with rail data. So control period four, which we're in now, the services that run on our railways are being purchased by the government through this high-level high output spec. And the Office of Rail Regulation monitors that all these services are being provided in uh, as correctly. Um, Network Rail also has um, a capital investment fund. It is a company limited by guarantees, but it can borrow on the markets to do capital investment. And so it has massive capital investment programs and we'll be doing bigger ones surrounding um, uh, HS2 and various other high-speed lines and so on. But there's a governance problem here. Obviously, it's already very complicated in the first place, but DFT only buys services at a very high level, and so it's just procuring a general service level, and it's the train operating companies who then decide what exactly to do, and they are mostly monopolies. So train operating companies are monopolies on, on most lines. If you, if you live in Brighton, you're lucky you've got two um, who can, in some sense, compete with each other. But it's relatively rare to have on-rail competition in the rail industry. Now, the nub of the problem in governance in the rail industry is the Office of Rail Regulation tolerates self-regulation by the Association of Train Operating Companies. And ATOC is a kind of club for train operating companies. And ATOC... Um, uh, more or less, although the, the arrows point from the Department for Transport towards the train operating companies, in reality, the control is in the other direction. The train operating companies, because they're a series of monopolies on different lines, and because they have quite long contracts from the government to run rail services, they more or less boss the railways. Um, so, Office of Rail Regulation is not as powerful as it should be. Passenger focus exists to serve the interests of passengers, but they have influence but no power. They can't direct any change on the railway, so they can simply point up problems. So the industry is fragmented and complex, and until really very, very recently, very little information has escaped the industry. If you look at the rail industry as you would look at any other industry, if you were a stockbroker looking at the value proposition, so-called, what a particular industry offers, and compare it, let's say, with retail, when you go into Tesco's or Sainsbury's, you know, feel the love. You know, you've got um, club cards, you've got um, signage, you've got guarantees, you've got price guarantees, you've got all sorts of, um, all sorts of things to help you as a, as a consumer. You go to uh, the railways, then um, you, you've got to decide what ticket to buy yourself. If you underpay, they'll fine you. If you overpay, tough. Uh, you don't know what quality of product you're going to get. It, it, are you going to get a seat? Yes or no? Can you find out? No way to know. Um, do you get your money back if, if the train's late? Only if it's very late. How do you prove it was very late? Um, lots of lateness incidents are excluded because of things that they say are outside their control but are just basically bad planning. So the problem with um, the industry at the moment is that we haven't got the information to hold the rail industry sufficiently to account. And ultimately, that is what open data is going to be able to do for the rail industry is it's going to help it achieve some transparency. It's going to help it be more customer friendly to achieve a better uh, value proposition. Unfortunately, of course, at the moment, passengers are rather nihilistic about the railways because when you're dealing with a monopoly, and, and, and I can tell by the looks on your faces that you all know where I'm coming from here, when you're dealing with a monopoly and you can't change it somehow and you feel deeply 
you know, angered sometimes by the way in which they act towards you as a customer, then the problem is that um, you, you do get nihilistic. And so here's some tweets, um, <laughs> sort of things people say. These are the clean ones. Um, I ca you know, there are some others I could show you that would, you know, um, silly me, you know, um, the fact that it's on a departure board doesn't actually mean it exists, does it? Um, First Capital Connect have a Twitter feed. Um, either it's a robot or Ali um, has, you know, done too much training and call center etiquette and, you know, the, the responses are rather, you know, kind of robotic. Um, and, you know, people, people distrust that or they don't feel like that's helping them. And I love this one. Um, I used to get the 909 from Letchworth and it always arrived at 912. So in the new timetable, uh, they cleverly made, the made, the made it at 912, but now it comes at 914. And, that, and you know, that's a marginal adjustment. Uh, there are other tweets. The 8 o'clock from Brighton seems to be, excite enormous passions because the 8 o'clock from Brighton is always late and always significantly late, apparently. So, you know, people are nihilistic. So we've got into this situation where there's complex industry that where somehow we, as we're giving it four or five billion pounds a year, and we can't somehow get out of it any information or we can't get it to become customer focused. If you look at what passenger focus are doing, you know, they, they, they publish reports on, on, on passenger reactions, um, compare this to the tweets, or rather kind of corporatist. Um, I mean, they're nice people. Um, I'm, I'm somebody probably here from Passenger Focus. Um, but, you know, you, they're not affecting change. Um, what rail performance information lacks is a real customer focus. They're not providing what people want. Um, passengers thought that more information about train services would mean greater transparency around train companies' performance. But what was their strategy to achieve that? Actually, some of you in the room here who are running apps in, in the rail industry are doing far, form, far more to achieve change and to uh, greater accountability than any of the official regulators. You know, the Office of Rail Regulation and Passenger Focus um, are not able to achieve as much change as app developers are, are doing at the moment. Now, we do have this thing called National Rail Inquiries. It's a service of ATOC. It was originally set up to f provide a, a phone service at privatization, but by organic change, um, as a, a TOC-funded uh, initiative, which are the TOCs themselves are partly funded by your taxes, <coughs> it's developed organically to run a web service and an API service. Uh, now, Network Rail provide all the information about where the trains are moving to um, National Rail Inquiries. National Rail Inquiries then provide apps and services. And famously, um, of course, the, um, uh, they uh, moved against an app made by a company called Kazoom in 2009, um, uh, de deprived it of its right to distribute free rail data. And after an inquiry by um, the Office of, of Rail Regulation, which found extraordinarily that, um, that, uh, that National Rail Inquiries had a dominant position but didn't, ab didn't abuse it. Um, National Rail Inquiries then instituted a, a one app in the space that um, Kazoom's app had, had previously been in, which cost five pounds. And that app, costing five pounds, then had more or less a monopoly over several years. And it's only recently um, that um, by campaigning, you know, uh, by, by various campaigning activities that we've done, we've been able to put pressure on National Rail Inquiries, first of all to liberalise its licensing policies and reduce its prices, and then most importantly, more recently, we've persuaded Network Rail to release its data independently 
of this aggregation service offered by NRE, and that independent access to the train movement data has allowed us to build apps and services that don't depend upon the industry's own organ, National Rail Inquiries. Now then, again, um, our National Rail Inquiries here, they're not here to defend themselves. They would say that they're a private body acting on behalf of private industries. But this is one of those complicated places where public task is being driven by private monopolies. And that generally doesn't develop the, the best outcomes. Now, NRE was previously a monopoly supply of rail data. It's now um, been, it's now effectively got some competition uh, through the NR feed of open data. If you want to go and get your data from National Rail Inquiries, incidentally, go ahead. Uh, they charge you 150 per app, regardless of how much you use the uh, re 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 reuse the data. And so, the ability to get open data from Network Rail and to, to provide new charging models is, um, is, is, is a pretty big change. Interesting to compare what passengers say they want with what National Rail Inquiries is aiming to achieve. Um, this is what passengers want. Um, train times, fare information, integrated transport options. This is what National Rail Inquiries do because inevitably they are um, operating on behalf of the train operating com companies. They want you to make your inquiries on their site a, so you can consume the L shape of advertising that's on the site, fine, okay, you know, they're a commercial outfit, but B, they want you, when you've done your inquiry, to then go to the train operating company's own fare and ticketing portals and buy from them so that they get the margins on your ticket sale. So they want to increase ticket sales, grow our registered customer base, and something like £250 million a year of tickets, ticket sales is driven through the National Rail, in, uh, Rail Inquiry site. As, as, they, as they recently disclosed. So we want to disrupt this in various ways. What's the solution? Lots of information, ideally from open sources, on the consumer. We want to do analysis of timetables. You know, have we got equity in service patterns and the allocation of, uh, of uh, uh, train uh, equipment? Why, are, you know, if you live in some poor part of the north of England, you've got terrible trains and you've got nice new trains running to wealthy areas in the southeast of England. Um, that happens. We want the real-time data to monitor delays to find out what's going on. We want fair data um, to identify savings, in particular fair splitting. I'll come on to that. And we want to be able to do integration with other modes. I mean, we've got these ludicrous situations in lots of places around the country where if you're in a bus station, you can't find out about the trains. If you're in a train station, you can't find out about the buses. We want integrated information. We want to, in effect, like in Switzerland, where they have a truly integrated transport network, we have to put that back together using information. So even if institutionally it's, it's separated, we want to put it back together ourselves by using information. Now, we can help with this, can't we? And this is where we now move over to data and technology. You know, that's the institutional background. Um, let's see some data. So um, these are the train movement feeds. These are the three, um, three um, train movement messages that you get from the network rail um, train movement feed. Some of them are red, which I've picked out because they're, they're the particularly important ones. I don't want to go into this in detail other than to say that um, this is not, not straightforward handling this data for various reasons. I'll just give you some of the reasons. One of the reasons is that um, the, the train movement message has to be um, cross-referenced with something called an activation message. Every two hours, um, the feed publishes the existence of a forthcoming train. If you miss it, you can't then track the train. 
because you, you need to get hold of the reference from that activation message in order to be able to track the live messages. So first of all, you've got to do um, that kind of cross-referencing. Secondly, you've also got um, train um, cancellation feeds. So this is the list of all the trains that are cancelled. You've got to cross-reference with those in order to be able to remove those that um, have been activated uh, but then don't run, which is one of the complicated things. There are 500 messages per second on this feed. So you've got multiple challenges here. One is r reading very high volume data feed, doing a lot of cross-referencing in real time. It's a, it's a volatile feed that goes up and down, so, you, so sometimes the, the feed, um, uh, sometimes you, know, you get in, uh, peaks of, of, um, of traffic and so on. And once you've, once you've got all of this data, you've only now got knowledge about a set of, of arcane referencing systems. So you now know where the train is relative to a Stanux. Um, now, the, the Stanuxes are published uh, and, uh, on a, on a third-party hobbyist site. So you're able to find out what the, what the Stanuxes actually refer to. Um, the network rail doesn't have a single integrated asset management system in which all of the reference data, the three-letter codes that you might use on the websites to look up train times, through to the Stanuxes, through to the individual signaling blocks, which, you know, which actually indicate where exactly where a train is. So you now know something about a train, um, a train number. Uh, sorry, a, 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 first of all, that's the Unix epoch for, for timing. Um, you know something about a train number. Here it is, that train which is um, running on that service uh, pattern. That, that. So now you have to go and look up the timetable in order to find out what actual trains those are and then to be able to reference them back to stations. So it, it's a gigantic real-time um, uh, cross-referencing exercise on very dirty data. Um, I see Emil sitting over there who consumes uh, one of our, our data feeds from, from CityMapper. And at various times we've tried to read the real-time train message and publish that directly. In fact, we've had to turn it around, go to, to publish everything as if it's a timetable and then modify it by the real-time train message because the real-time train messages are so volatile and they go down, they lose messages. So it's dirty, it's coming fast, it's very volatile, there's massive cross-referencing. This, this is not easy stuff to work with. So if you're going to work with it, prepare yourself to deal with all of that. Um, now, we have consumed rail data and brought it into the Transport API. Um, have a look at transportapi.com. Um, it's a, a, a complete public, data, public transport data aggregation site that my company Placer has built. This is the kind of stuff that goes on there. It's a cloud-based system. You've got these feeds. Um, some of them have to be cached because of the, the volumes of data and so on. Uh, some of them have to have lookups done, various joins and, and, uh, and cross-referencing have to be done. It then has to be uh, published to the API, there have to be sometimes some, some side processing, um, and then that can be inter in integrated with AppLogic, published to apps, um, possibly using geolocation to, to, to look, look stuff up. And, you know, we can do all this kind of stuff now, um, so we can, we can do um, timetable lookups, we can do, um, well, that's, that's the tube, there's, li there's buses, and here's live train, train data. So, given that that's the scenario that we're in, what do we now want? And what can we now build on, on, on uh, open data? Well, this is CityMapper. Um, CityMapper is one of the apps that consumes feeds that we've aggregated through transportapi.com. 
we've been able to get started. What we want now is a level playing field, a liberalized market, and open data-driven innovation, and open fair data. What do we mean by each of those things? If you do a look up on um, the uh, NRE site, you might get a, a service like this one, and you see all this little cluster of icons here. There are a set of other things that we know about trains that only the train operating companies know about. How many carriages are going to be there, whether there's going to be catering, various other things of that kind. Uh, we want that information to be liberalized because although they're commercial operations, they receive public money. And one of the principles of open data should be that where there's public money, there should be access. And that's very important. Um, I love this particular uh, thing, just in terms of um, w um, talking about a level playing field. This is the official advice of the Association of Train Operating Companies in its own disruption code that it, it aims now, this is the change that's taken place, it aims now for its staff should ideally be in at least as well informed as passengers. Um, bonkers. I mean, you know, the occasion, I've, I've seen it, I don't know if you've seen it, people knocking on the driver's door saying, we're being diverted. And, you know, the train driver's saying, not as far as I'm concerned, you know, things like that. So it's a, it's a but, you know, we want this level playing field so that we're all talking, we've all got the same sources and we've all got the, the, the same objectives. We want a liberalized market. We want, you know, commercial interfaces to these new data streams because, you know, open data, I mean, there's a sort of open knowledge um, world where, you know, this data just needs to be opened for research and for community use and for analysis of different kinds. But if people are going to build services on it, like we are, then we need to have revenue streams to be able to create those revenues. We don't want to create revenue streams out of a monopoly. We don't want to create revenue streams out of regulation and, you know, tricks. You know, that was, that's the old kind of economy. We want to create revenue streams out of service, about being able to provide, um, uh, uh, provide the data, scale the data. We want to be able to provide added value, clever new ways of looking at things that reveal insight. And on the basis of that, uh, we can offer new services. So you can't get this from National Rail Inquiries. Uh, this is something that I actually, I actually did a few months ago. So Liverpool to, Lane, to London by train on a Friday night. By Virgin, it was 90 quid, single. I wasn't willing to pay 90 quid. And I know you can do it for less than that. So I did a certain amount of searching on the fare engines, and I was able to get double the journey time at a third of the price. Now, I had my laptop. Um, I was quite happy sitting on the train for you know, four hours instead of two hours. It wasn't a problem. Uh, but it was a third of the price. Now, why don't they want you to know that? You know, it's fairly I easy for, to understand uh, why they don't want that. Um, but it's not fair when our taxes power the entire industry. So, you know, if this was something, you know, an open and free market, and they were able to, you know, these were, this was a feature of an open market, that would be one thing, but it's not. So that's why we want the information to change things. We want open data innovation. Look at this. This is produced by Peter Hicks, legend of open rail data, po at POGS. Uh, you, may, you may know him. This is a display, this is the, this is, I mean, this is geek worship, you know, I, 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 I kind of want to do that. The wills, this is a, a, you know, a track layout for Wilson Junction. These boxes are sections of the track where a train can be, and if there is one, it's got a number in it. And so that tells you where all the trains are, you know, this one's in a platform, this one's in platform four at Wilson Junction right now. There's a system in Network Rail called Control System of the Future, which shows that for every part of the country. It cost millions to create. Peter built it at home in his spare time, this version, once he got access to the TD, this train describer fees, and he spent months and months decoding 
the data without any manuals, any uh, real assistance from, from the rail industry. He had a little, had a, a, a one or two moles in the industry who helped him various, with various things. He had to find out these numbers by getting hold of driver training videos and watching them and freeze-framing them when they went past the signals in order to read the numbers off the signal. So what Peter did with that uh, insight that he got uh, into the workings of the inner workings of the rail data is he took that data and produced some departure boards, which you can see here, prototype open train times data set, services at North Dulwich. And you can see this is a conventional departure board. But by showing us the way to handling this data, uh, we were able to look at the train movement feeds and create a proper API endpoint that allows other developers to get the data. Now, we also want to see uh, cooperation with other partners uh, who are doing campaigning. So, for example, uh, we've been working with Fix My Transport. Uh, we would like to um, uh, enable Fix My Transport to, um, to, to grab data to support a question like this one, have you had a bad train journey? Uh, we want to be able to, to record all the train movements and to tie up um, uh, someone's experiences on the, on the, on, on the train with uh, the data that tells you actually what happened. So we think that open data can also drive partnerships. And we also think that um, we ought to be able to create new streams of data about the railway. Um, you can see here in this um, diagram, actually this is about the tube, but it, it applies to railway and we've got the same thing under development on the rail feeds. Uh, this is a 24-hour clock, these two diagrams on the right-hand side. Um, and the blue line shows you, on average, for each 15-minute period, how frequent do the, do the trains run. The red line, that really spiky red line, shows you um, uh, what actually happened on this particular day and you can see that the service was, was having a nightmare, it was m completely melted down, um, the intervals between trains were, were enormous and uh, that is a kind of um, forensic uh, evidence of, of, of what happened to the trains during a given day and we can use that as input to, um, to service, um, service monitoring. Uh, in fact during some of the TFL tube strikes um, we were asked by the Evening Standard to tell them what the truth of the running of the tubes actually was because the management and the unions actually had a different idea um, and, and were putting out different figures about uh, you know, how effective the strike was. We can come in and give independent uh, view of performance um, on the site where these um, visualizations are hosted which is um, tube-radar.com. And apps can also be probes um, smartphones, of course, are broadcasting their position. We can use that to independently monitor train progress. We can also do things like acceleration, deceleration by uh, phones as sensors. And, and we, can, we can check publicity claims. You can see here an advert about the Docklands Right Railway, which is saying that trains run every four minutes. Well, you know, now that we have independent evidence of how these uh, services operate, we can test these claims. In the past, um, the regulator has been very much a prisoner of the train operating companies because it's not really been possible for anybody to question the claims. Uh, and, and, and that's a bad thing, you know, especially when so much of our money is going into it. 
So what we are trying to produce ultimately is a variety of, of um, information services, campaigning outputs uh, to collaborate with partners, um, to put service patterns and performance up in light in effect. Um, and, and here's one of our latest um, creations. It's not yet released, but it will be quite soon. It's a train lateness map um, for the area around Shoreditch. You can see there's 10 or 15 stations there. The colours represent, at the moment, the average lateness of the trains from that station. And you can see there that there's quite a few stations with sort of yellowish colour. Those are experiencing sort of sort of major delays uh, in, in some services. And then there's some green coloured dots and um, the, the darkest green dots are stations with no delays. And so if you're going to plan your journey, if you've got alternative um, routes, you can look at that map and make decisions. And we would like that to be available at a national scale so you can just see at a glance, you know, how, how are the railways running. Uh, but also drill down and see, you know, what, what your commute uh, might be like. Now, finally, um, fares. We um, have been able to leverage a lot of information about train movements to provide new ways to feed apps with uh, timetable data and live departures. We've been able to calculate new performance indicators, but the big one that's still out there is, is fare data. Now, we were told at the last uh, Transport Transparency Board uh, by ATOC, by their subsidiary rail settlement plan, that they are going to release fare information in this current quarter as open data. And then it will be possible to do what you can see there on the right-hand side in the screen dump from Tickety Split, which is an app from moneysavingexpert.com, where only for walk-up fares on the day, if you give it a route, um, it will tell you uh, how much you can save by splitting the journey at some point. And there are lots of places where you can split journeys. You can split them um, at um, the boundary between peak and off-peak services or you can split them at the boundaries of fare zones. You know, some of the metropolitan areas have cheaper fares within those zones, for example. And a tickety split will, will, will go and get this um, data for you. But of course, this was actually built on, on closed data, and moneysavingexpert.com actually built this. They paid for the data to be able to prove what we could achieve if we had fare data. I've actually tried to get hold of a report that was mentioned at the Transparency Board, um, may, uh, commissioned by ATOC, which tells, um, which told the government how much money uh, travellers were probably losing out on by not knowing about uh, ticket splitting, amongst other things, and they would not give it to me even through several cycles of um, freedom of information requests. So what have they got to hide? Uh, what they've got to hide is that there are opportunities massively to reduce the fare, but of course. Um, in some ways, the government's got no incentive to tell you that because if the train operating companies do less well than they expect to do, uh, there are various clauses in their contracts that allow them to claw back money from the government um, in, a, in a, a system called cap and collar, uh, in which, uh, uh, which is designed to compensate rail companies for you know, economically hard times, for example, when, when their takings may go down. If we show them, if we show the population ways of saving money on their rail fares and the train operating companies make less money, it may be that you and I actually have to pay the bill um, from taxpayers' funds uh, to, to give those train operating companies back the normal revenues which you've now taken away from, which is one of the deeper ironies here. 
We, we would like to see uh, it, it, uh, th this data when it comes out because we want to mine it and look for all the anomalies in it and where you can get cheaper ways of, 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 of by going d different routes and so on. And we'd also want to really be able to offer people new ways to plan rail journeys. I mean, you know, um, I, I came back from Liverpool. Uh, I, I looked at the uh, one Friday night. I looked at the fares on Virgin as direct line trains. Uh, it was ninety pounds or something like that. I thought I must be able to do that more cheaply, and I, I'm not. I don't really need to get home at the top speed. In the end, I was able to find a, um, a, a third of the fare at double the time, and that's a kind of um, that's a kind of trade-off that lots of people would be willing to do in travelling on the tra on the railways, but. At the moment, the, uh, the cheapest fare finder, that's uh, what, what um, uh, National Rail Inquiries have on their site, does not tell you about ticket splitting. And therefore, it is not actually, really, the cheapest fare finder. Um, it's actually the cheapest uh, fare you can get on a single ticket, which is not exactly the same thing. And the savings can be massive. They can be 20, 30 uh, pounds on, on longer journeys, which is obviously well worth having. And you can see, therefore, why there would be big revenue implications if you allowed, uh, you know, if, if, if ticket splitting became more widely known and, and apps were able to drive um, people to, to these cheaper um, ticket solutions. We'd, we'd like really to be able to mine the data, find the cheap tickets, um, document exactly what the ticket was in some sort of portable format uh, that could be shared amongst people and various different people could all purchase exactly the same ticket using the same definition through one of the existing ticketing channels and that's one of the things we're exploring at the moment. So um, uh, going back to the purpose of this talk, these are a number of the things that open data is going to be able to help you to do uh, to improve your, your, um, your rail travel. I mean in summary we think that open data can drive new accountability, reductions in cost. Um, we can be a disruptive market influence uh, where we can, uh, we, can, we, can, we can challenge monopoly and uh, improve uh, the, um, the services and the cost. We hope we can play a, a new role by um, providing uh, new, new apps and services around the data uh, to help with data distribution. It's a very, very tough stream of data to get, as we've already said. Uh, and so we want to be able to enable all sorts of people to, to get that with, with ease. And if we can process the data to generate new value-added feeds, um, we, uh, you know, that will uh, provide another reason to visit transportapi.com, but it will also um, justify opening the data because that allows more people access to the value. And when there's public money following the open data, you know, that's what we want in a, in a pluralistic society. So, thank you very much indeed.